Good morning, good morning, good morning. So glad you guys are here today. So glad. If you're new here, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to come and open God's Word for you guys on a regular basis. And So, so good to see you guys here today. Um, we're going to be continuing in our series in First Peter. We've been uh, the last couple weeks focusing on spiritual disciplines, and all that means is how do we grow in our relationship with God. And so we've been doing that for the last couple of weeks like we do every start of the year. And now we're back in our series in First Peter. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to First Peter's toward the end of the New Testament, um, right before First John, Second John, Third John. And we'll be in chapter 2 starting in verse 13 this morning. But before we do that, I just want to just say a word um, for about two weeks, we've been focusing on the renovation, demolition um, of our new building, and that's been really exciting. And man, we have had some amazing volunteers, amazing progress. If you saw what it was like um, previously compared to walking in there today, it is unbelievable. Um, just swinging sledgehammers, knocking down walls tearing up carpet. I mean, it's like a war zone over there, but it looks good. And uh, so, man, there's been so many people that have gone above and beyond. I, I'd, I'd love to acknowledge people. It just takes too long because there's literally been that many. On Thursday night, there's probably 40 people there, which is, which is killer. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so cool to see the family come together. Um, just all this volunteer labor has saved us thousands of dollars, and that's just being a good steward of God's resources. And, man, it's been cool alone for a lot of people just to have a place to overlap with people that you don't normally see because we have two services, and you've got a regular city group with a smaller group of people, and you just can't see everybody on a Sunday morning. We're at that size now. And so, man, you might be swinging a sledgehammer and getting sheetrock dust in your face, and you got someone next to you you haven't met, you know, and, and they go to the vine. You guys are doing that together. So you're just, like, wiping the crud out of your eyes together and like man we're in it together right it's beautiful and so um, we encourage you to dive in you'll meet some more people but man just want to remember that this building is is going to be great and it's a means to an end and the end is the mission that God has given every church that loves him and calls Jesus Lord and desires to be a beautiful family that's on mission to see neighbors and nations discipled and, and churches being planted. That's what we're about, right? And the building is a means to that end. And means are important. Make no mistake, means are important. Means lead us to an end. But the, the means are not the end. Um, and so as long as we keep that straight in our mind, man, we can appreciate and be thankful and work hard for this means of a building that God has given. And just let's, as we're doing it, it'll give you more, more um, it'll help fan into flame the fire to get this thing done when we remember that it is a means and the end is what's going to motivate us. You with me? And so thank you, thank you, thank you for all the work that has happened in two weeks. It's been amazing and the work that will be happening um, in the next couple months. So we look forward to saying more thanks. Well, let's turn to First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And just let me, let me, let me kind of paint a, a broad stroke here. What we're going to do in the next few weeks is kind of like a little mini-series. And it's a mini-series on the context 
of verse 12. We always want to understand our Bibles in context. So what Peter's going to say to the ancient church in Cappadocia and Asia Minor and Laodicea and and these these ancient churches in what's modern-day Turkey, and he's also saying to us 2,000 years later, it all stands on the shoulders of verse 12, the context of verse 12. So look at verse 12 with me. It says, Peter says to the ancient church there, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, just unbelievers is what that means, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. Why? Well, here's why. So that when they speak against you, as evildoers, they may what? See your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your conduct honorable because it has a missional purpose. Because there's people that are going to look in and say, man, Christians are nuts. And sometimes Christians are nuts. Okay, let's be honest. But there are certain people that, that think that the Christian worldview and Jesus himself are nuts. And, and this is not worthy to be trusted, and it's, and it's absolute trash. There's people that think that. And that's what Peter is saying here. So when they speak against you as evildoers, what, what's going to happen? They're going to see something. They're going to see your lives are beautiful. They're going to see good lives, um, good deeds. And, and what's going to happen? God's going to visit some of those people. That's what it says here. When God visits them on the day of visitation, God's going to visit them through the word of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, preach to them. They're going to hear something, and they're going to go, man, I've, I've heard about these Christians. I've heard about this Jesus message. And I looked over, and I saw these Christians, and they looked different. There's something unique about them, the way that they carry themselves, the words that they use, their tone of voice, the how, how, how they're sacrificial and loving for one another and the marginalized in the city. And so when they hear this message, they think about those lives lived. And for some of those people, because of the lives lived, that message that comes into the ear is going to be, wow, I think I might want to trust that. Based on what I've seen, I think Jesus is worthy to be trusted. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what verse 12 is about. See it? So keep your conduct honorable. And so what Peter is doing now in all that follows in the next four weeks is what does honorable conduct look like? What does honorable conduct look like? And today we're going to talk about honorable conduct in reference to government. Next week, the workplace. The week after that, the biological family. The week after that, just in the, in the, in the spiritual family, the church. So what does it mean to have honorable conduct to an onlooking world that thinks Christianity might be crazy? And Peter's going to be telling us how to do that. And today, it's in reference to the government. Today, it's in reference to the highest authority in the land. And my friends, we did not plan this text in light of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Okay? This is just where we are in First Peter, I, I promise you. Okay? But... For such a time as this, this text, I think, is going to be really helpful for us today. And let me just give you a warning. I think all of us are going to have opportunity for us to get our toes stepped on a little bit today. This text runs against the grain of where our culture loves to be. It, it kind of confronts our most instinctive cultural impulses. Man, I, I've had reason to repent this week just in preparing the sermon. I've been convicted, okay? Because our culture loves autonomy. 
and we hate submission. And our culture loves to express individual opinion, and we hate verbal restraint. If you got something to say, let her fly, right? That's, that's kind of how our culture is. Our, our culture prizes cynicism, sarcasm, complaining, and, and faux outrage. Check your social media feed, right? I'm angry, and everyone deserves to know it. I'm angry, and someone needs to know about it, right? That's how we carry ourselves often. You have a right to know that I'm angry. So God is asking of us today for something better. God is asking of us today something better. But I think it might confront us a little bit. I know it's confronted me. So let's be open as we dive into God's word today. All right, so let's dive in. Let's look at verse 13 of chapter 2 together. Here's what it says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does that mean? Well, he tells us, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter is calling believers 2,000 years ago and today to be subject. Another word could easily be translated be submissive. Okay? So what does it say? We're to be subject to every human institution. Every human governmental institution is kind of the context. Dude, that's a big statement. Wow. I'm to be submissive to every human institution, whether the emperor or the governor, be submissive to government. All right, so let's talk about what this does and doesn't mean, okay? Keep your thumb here in 1 Peter, and I want you to just flip over real quick to Acts chapter 4. I really want you to see this. Acts chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament. So here's what this doesn't mean, okay? In Acts chapter 4, we find the author of this epistle, the author of this letter, Peter. We find that guy, Peter. This is post-Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to the Father. And his spirit has been poured out on his followers, and they're going crazy with evangelism. They're just doing an amazing job sharing the truth about Jesus to anyone and everyone who will listen. And so the authorities at this time didn't like them doing this, okay? And so they drag Peter, the author of our letter, Peter and his friend John before them, and here's what they basically say. They say, Peter and John, you guys got to shut up about this Jesus stuff. We've had enough of it. We're done with it. We don't believe it. So y'all got to shut up. And here's what Peter says. Look at verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So translation, to the extent that you're asking us to disobey the Lord, we will not submit. So Peter's the author of these verses about submission, 2.13. But he himself displayed in his life the submission that he has in mind is not an all the time, every time, in all cases, type submission. 
Okay? So he, he practices civil disobedience here. Okay? So there's a time not to submit. Okay? But what does it mean? Well, here's, there's a lot of scenarios that we could think up, okay? And just as a disclaimer, a lot of you, as I'm talking this morning, are going to be thinking about, well, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? Should I submit here? Should I submit here? How do I know if this is sin and I need to resist? And how do I know if this is just, just godly submission to government that's not in the area of sin? And sometimes that's hard to suss out, I know. And, and we just don't have time to anticipate all of those scenarios and walk through them, okay? We're just going to be painting with, with broad strokes this morning based on God's Word. And then we're going to have to do the wisdom in community with God's Word open and just try to think hard about discernment when this, when this stuff gets challenging, okay? There's my disclaimer. But here's what I do think Peter's getting at. Um, this past summer, we had a massive project in front of our house, and the local government had decided that we're going to redo our streets, okay? And so not just the streets, but everything under the streets. So all the big gas lines, all of the plumbing, these huge water pipes, all the curbs and the gutters, all of it is going to be redone. And guess who gets to pay for it? We do, all right? So based on where I've lived in the past, Nashville, Albuquerque, Iowa, property taxes compared to here, pretty low. We moved to Madison, I'm like, whoa, man, these are high property taxes. And then we get what's called a special assessment. It was special, all right. We got a bill for five, almost $5,000 that we get to pay for the street, okay? And every house was assessed differently based on the property and the size and all that. So, man, what's my response? Is this a sin issue for the government to do this? Well, not necessarily, so what do I do? Do I endlessly complain? I did, I did do a lot of complaining. I did. I did. Lots of chatter. Can you believe what's going on here? Look at what we pay in property taxes, and now we got the special assessment of five grand? Do we, I write strongly, letted, or strongly worded emails, lots of bold, lots of all caps to the government? You know, every single week. I can't believe this. Blah, 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 blah. Do I treat the workers out front all summer sweating it out? Do I treat them with disrespect, try to make their, their job hard? Do I complain and, and get angry some more, more and more complaining? Well, there was a lot of complain, complaining on my part, and I'm convicted about that based on what I'm going to say this morning. See, to the extent that the government is not asking us to participate in sin, we submit. That's what Peter's saying. We comply. We obey. And take note, this is very important. This is not for the government's sake. Look at what the text says. Look at what the text says. Verse 13, what does it say? Be subject for the Lord's sake. See that? It doesn't say be subject for the government's sake. It says be subject for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? Well, we're going to flesh this out in more detail as we go today, but I think it means that what is going on here has less to do with government and more to do with our hearts and our witness to an onlooking world. Remember verse 12, the context? People are watching. People are watching. And remember this. 
Jesus himself submitted to government. He didn't usher in some anarchist revolt, even though some of his followers wanted that. These Romans, they're oppressing us. Get them out of here, Jesus. He didn't do that. He had a different agenda. He himself submitted to government in some pretty horrific ways. So our submission is not for the sake of government, but for making Jesus look good. It's for Jesus' sake. He's the Lord. So what's that mean? We're going to flesh that out. We're going to come back to this. All right, so here's what we got thus far. Track with me now. To the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit. So we're not talking about the Third Reich here. Diedrich Bonhoeffer died through his submission to, to, to government asking him to sin, and that was a good thing. To the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit. And I know it's hard to discern sometimes what is sin and what isn't. And that's another sermon for another day. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. All right, so look at the words there, um, by doing good, okay? So what does that mean? Well, again, we always read the Bible in context. In the context, he's talking about government structures and being submissive to them, right? So this is God's will that by doing good, that means by being submissive to government authorities, That's the goodness he has in mind, because that's the context, right? And this is the missional part of our submission to government, right? This is a good thing. It shows goodness to an onlooking world. We'll flesh this out. But also take note that he says, a lot of us are wondering, man, what's God's will for my life? I want to know God's will for my life. Well, this is part of it. It just says it straight up, right? This is the will of God. Okay, and all of this is for a purpose. He's just restating it. It's a missional purpose, a missional purpose. See, there's, there's lots of people, again, that think that Christianity is crazy. And, and Peter says that those people are foolish and ignorant, that, 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 doing, that by doing good, you could, should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Or you could say, say differently in light of the context, that by submitting to government well— you're going to put to silence those people that think Christians are crazy, right? One way to silence objections to Christianity is just to live differently than the world, right? So don't be an anarchist. Don't always have, an, have the, like, the stick-it-to-the-man impulse. Like, this is hard for us. Think about our country. Our country was founded on a stick-it-to-the-man impulse. Those British people... They're holding us down. Let's get out of here, right? And so that, that, that ideal runs so deep in our culture for the last few centuries, right? Our freedom is a big deal. People better not ever infringe on our freedom. But I think it's important to remember that not every issue that might wrangle you a little bit that might not necessarily be sin, but more of a preference, not every issue is worth a march on Washington. 
right? Like systematic racism from the government reflected in Jim Crow laws in the last century before this one, that's worth a march on Washington. The, the continual and habitual and legal slaughter of the unborn, that's a, worth a march on Washington. But me having to pay some extra taxes, probably not worth a march on Washington. Me being just ticked off at whatever government official is, is in power, it might not be worth a march on Washington. No matter who it is. I'm not talking Trump or Hillary. I'm talking either one of them. Or anybody else, locally, statewide, county. It may or may not. We're going to have to use discernment here. But to the extent that it's not calling us to sin, maybe it's not worth that march. Now, is there a time to resist? Yes, absolutely. We've already covered that. The government asks us to sin. But if we constantly have this mindset of resistance to things that aren't necessarily sin issues, it might probably just indicate a prideful heart, an angry heart, maybe an ungrateful heart, a heart that might be more concerned about selfishness than what your behavior looks like to an unbelieving world. Remember, that's what Peter has in mind here. What what does this look like? How do you carry yourself? What do they see? Let me give you an illustration. I I think, and I'm just guessing here, but I think this is one way we could kind of bring this home for us. I think if Peter were were writing to us today with these thoughts that are obviously what he wants, given by God to this first church back then, if he were writing this to us today, he might say something like, like this. He would say, man, this culture has whole TV networks whose sole purpose is to sell anger. And the perspective is this. We, if we tap into people's tribal mentality concerning politics, we can get them to watch, and if they watch, then we get paid. And what this leads to is people simply demonizing with no nuance, very little compassion or listening, a whole other group of people that might think differently. And it's all sarcasm. It's all yelling and making other people look as foolish as possible. And get them with that one-line one zinger. Very little sense of honor or submission whatsoever. And I think Peter would say, that's the way that the world does it. But it shouldn't be so among you. It shouldn't be so among the Christian family. Christians shouldn't participate in the impatient, angry, and loud culture of 24-7 political news. And and that, that type of behavior, it doesn't display graciousness or civility or honor. It should come from people who know Jesus and his submission. It it just simply doesn't make you look winsome. It makes you look foolish. So carry yourself in a way that is good, doing good. And by good, I mean an attitude of godly submission that's more about honor than it is about being angry and right. So let me ask you this. When it comes to government, and how we talk about government, would anybody say about you that you seem kind of unique? Like, your words are more measured. They're more respectful. They're more civil. They have the image of God 
that's stamped on every single human being in mind? Does it have a nuanced winsomeness? Or would they say you just kind of look like you're running with the herd? Like, what do we put on social media, and how do we put it on social media? What, what, what are the, the, the water cooler conversations at work like? What's the tone that you set? What are the conversations like in the neighborhood? See, Peter's saying there's a way to carry yourself in reference to government authority that will make you stand out as good. See that? Like running with the angry and prideful herd is not going to accomplish that. So hear me again. It's not that we don't disagree. But I think the key question is, if we're going to disagree, is there a way to do that that displays a Jesus-like submissive heart? And again, this is about your witness. How you live your life in reference to government has the power to show that you have a different king. And you're not a slave to cynicism or anger or pride or despondency or depression. See, God is more interested in your heart and your witness than government structures that may or may not be perfect. They're not perfect. They never will be. But what's our response? So thus far, here's what we have. To the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit. And this good and godly submission shows the world that Jesus' followers are beautifully different. All right? Let's keep reading. I want to read the whole thing, though, to see how it fits together. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So what's Peter saying now? He's just talked about the need to submit, and that has a missional purpose. And, and, and so what does he say now? He says, live, live as a free person. Be who you are. You are free. Let that frame how you carry yourself. Do you carry yourself as someone who's free? Right? So what does that mean? Well, in the whole context of 1 Peter, as, as, as we've seen in the last few months, Peter's always talking about identity. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And he does it again. You're free because the tomb is empty and Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. If you come to him and you trust him and you treasure him, man, you're free. You're free from the penalty of sin that is death. Jesus conquered it. You've got glorious freedom in the family of God because you have a good father who loves you and he's never going to forsake you and he's always going to provide for you. You can live in that freedom. You're not a slave anymore to sin. You're not a slave to anybody. That's what Peter's getting at here, okay? So we're free, but we're not free like many people think. In our culture, we define freedom as like ultimate, autonomous, 
individualistic ability to do whatever I want. I'm free to do anything. And if you impose anything on my freedom, I'm going to revolt. That's not freedom. That's just another form of slavery, right? Look at what Peter says. He says, live as people who are free. But at the end of the verse, what does he say? Here's how freedom is defined for Peter. You're free to be a what? A servant of God. Now, is that a contradiction? A free servant? Another translation for the Greek word servant there is, is going to be slave. A free slave? Is, that, is Peter nuts? Like, does he know what he's talking about here? It's not. It's not a contradiction. Freedom is not ultimate autonomy or ultimate mastery over yourself and, and your own decisions. Freedom is not unhindered independence from anything and everything. That's an illusion that doesn't exist. And here's what I mean. You will be a slave to something. Said differently, you will ascribe ultimate worth to something. Said differently, you are created to be a worshiper. You can't not do that. You will worship something. You will give your life ultimately to something. Whether it be sex or money or fame or having people like you or your job or your kids or your social media and your reputation there, or control, or drugs, or whatever. It's impossible to live life without something you hold as ultimate. And to that, you will be a servant. So it's not a matter if you'll be a servant or not. It's just a matter who's going to be your master. That's just how we live. That's how human beings are. But Peter's saying we're free, truly free, if we find the right master. See, the right master will still be your master, but that master will give you freedom by allowing you to be who you were created to be. Freedom is only defined as being free to be who you are. Just like a fish is not free to, to, to breathe air. A fish is created to find freedom in water. And if a fish says, forget this, I hate the water. This water is a prison cell. Get me out of here. I want to be on dry land. Well, he's not free to do that. That's a death certificate for that fish, right? That kind of freedom will kill it. But what Peter's saying is this. Don't live like everyone else who don't understand submission. Live as people who are free. You're free in Christ. And, and so you don't have to interact with government like everyone else does, right? You don't have to rage against government like you're in some prison, prison cell put on you by the government. You're not. That's not who you are. You're free in Jesus. The government is not your master. Jesus is. And so we should look like we know that that's true when it comes to how we interact with government. If it feels like government is your master, then yeah, we're going to rage. Because it's going to always be letting you down. But government's not your master. That's what Peter's trying to say. Jesus is. You're free in him. But look at the verse again. What he's saying is it, you can't use this freedom as a means to sin. That's just what it says. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So, man, the government's not my master. Jesus is my master, so what am I going to do? Well, pff, government, whatever, they can take a hike. I'm going to do whatever I want. So I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to obey. Peter's saying don't do that. Don't live like that. 
Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You're free in Christ. Yes, you are. But that doesn't mean you can just blow them off and not listen to anything and like, yeah, I'm going to drive 90 in a school zone. Sure, it's a problem or whatever. See, our freedom has boundaries. And the boundaries are clear at the end of the verse. We're God's servants. So we're free to serve. And God wants us to serve by showing submission to our governmental authorities. Now, this, this can kind of crawl up into our lap or kind of drive into our, this issue can drive into our neighborhood when it comes to tax time, right? We're all getting our charitable donation receipts in the mail right now. And so we're thinking about prepping the taxes for April. And these verses can challenge us, right? Here, here's thoughts that I have. Government's just going to waste my money. The government doesn't need my money. The government is this massive bureaucracy with all this inefficiency. If I just give more money in taxes, they're just going to waste it. It's not worth it. You know what I should do? I should just give more to the church, right? It doesn't really matter if I fudge a bit on the taxes, does it? Man, these verses can hit close to home when taxes are due. What did Jesus say? He submitted to government. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. He didn't say, stick it to Caesar, or do whatever you can to be subversive. That's not what he said in reference to taxes. So this this verse would, would challenge us to faithfully pay our taxes. And it's not like it was lost on Jesus that the Romans were corrupt and evil in a lot of ways. And I think Jesus knows about our government now that is corrupt and and wicked in lots of ways. It may may not be as bad as it could be compared to a lot of nations in this world. But we all know it's not perfect, but Jesus says, render unto Caesar Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Our freedom in Christ does not allow us to not pay our taxes. All right, so here's what, what we got thus far. So thus far, here's what we have. To the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit. And this good and godly submission shows the world that Jesus' followers are beautifully different. And we're free in Christ. We don't have to rage like a dog in a governmental cage. We're not in a cage. We're beautifully free by being servants of God. All right, so let's close with verse 17. I'm going to read the whole thing again. Let's see it in connection to one another. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And here's 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So Peter just kind of closes this section on submission to government with some quick hitters, okay? Some short reminders. And, and this is what verse 12 honorable conduct looks like. Verse 17 is just another way to say it. So he says in 17, honor everyone. Show civility, grace, dignity. Um, be mindful of the fact that every single human being is an image bearer of God. So you, you're free to honor them. You don't have to agree with them, but you can honor them. Honor everyone. Uh, love the brotherhood. Man, go out of your way to show love to the, to the brothers and sisters that you have in the church. 
They will know you're Christians by your love. So this onlooking world needs to see that you love one another. Fear God, it says in verse 17. Revere, worship, and listen above all else to King Jesus. And then finally, honor the emperor. Honor the highest authority in the land. And for them, it was the emperor. And for us, it's probably the president of the United States. Okay? So, wow. Honor the president. For some of us, that's a kick in the stomach right now. And had Hillary won, it'd be a kick in the stomach too, depending on where you fall, politically speaking. Right? And when we read in the text, honor the emperor, the highest authority in the land, man, that's hard for some of us, isn't it? It's been a rough season politically, really rough. And this can make us uncomfortable, God calling us to honor the highest authority in the land. Let me just put this in historical context, though, because I think this might help humble us. When Peter was writing this to this early, these early churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, at that time, the Roman emperor was a guy named Nero. And you can go home and Google Nero. Um, but what we know about Nero is that he was literally a lunatic, crazy, paranoid, vicious, violent, debaucherous. And the guy was a complete psycho, Okay. He suspected his own mother of treason and had her murdered. And matricide, even to the Romans, was, was a huge no-no. Okay? So I don't think it was lost on Peter who the emperor was at the time. And yet he says, honor the emperor. Why would he ask the Christian churches to do that? Well, Because I don't think it was about Nero. That's the whole tone of this text. It's not about that person. It's about your heart and your witness. It's about your heart and your witness. So what do people see? What do people see? If we constantly complain, worry, and resist everything, it will make us into a certain type of person that doesn't exactly exude the fruit of the Spirit. It, it doesn't help you be the kind of person who's, who's a beautiful witness to neighbors and nations when we're constantly complaining or constantly living in fear or constantly living in despondency or constantly using sarcasm to express our displeasure with our leaders. Is it okay to be sad? Yeah, it's okay to be sad. Is it okay to be upset? Yeah, it's okay. But the question is, how does that manifest itself as other people are watching? What have we learned? Here's what Peter wants us to hear. We're free. How are we free? We're free because we know who our master is. Our ultimate master, our ultimate ruler is King Jesus. So in this sense, we're free. We know who we are, and we know that no governmental authority can ever take that away. So in that sense, we're free to honor the emperor, even if it's crazy Nero. We're free to honor the president of the United States, no matter who it is. And this doesn't mean, again, that we have to agree, but it does mean that we probably won't be endlessly snarky, sarcastic, fearful, or angry. 
we'll hold ourselves with a certain level of dignity and civility that's tragically lacking in our culture. But Christians should be different. Those things show honor. Not necessarily agreement, but honor. That's what Peter's getting at. That's what God's will is for his people. Remember, I think Peter would say this, Nero's days are numbered, but King Jesus' days are never numbered. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the everlasting God. Remember, Trump's days are numbered. King Jesus' days are never numbered. He's everlasting God. So we're free to know who our true authority is. And then we're free to honor everyone because we don't have to fear. We don't have to endlessly worry. Our freedom in Jesus as king, man, that gives us a revolution on our perspective that can be one of settled peace. That Jesus alone is our ultimate ruler. So we can honor. Whether we agree or disagree is not the issue. It's how we carry ourselves that is the issue. So let me ask you some questions that may be challenging this morning. Does the way that we carry ourselves show that we know we're free in Christ and not a slave to government? Does the way that we carry ourselves show that we're not ruled by fear, worry, or anger? Is it okay to feel those things sometimes? Yes. But are we ruled by those things as opposed to being ruled by Jesus? Does the way that we carry ourselves show that we're grateful or that we're ruled by a sense of entitlement? Let me just say plainly, there's a lot that's messed up right now in our politics, and there always has been. But, man, I'm thankful that I don't live in a lot of different nations in this world, right? I mean, I've traveled around to a lot of different places in this world in the last six years, And are we messed up? Yeah. Is it as bad as it could be? Probably not. So there's probably a lot of room to be thankful, you know? And that doesn't mean we don't critique. That doesn't mean we don't disagree. But again, it's how. It's how. These are hard questions. Now more than ever, we as Christians have a chance to live out this text. We don't have to run with the foolish, angry social media mentality of just, I'm angry, hear me roar. It doesn't have to be us. God doesn't want that for us. It's, it's about how your heart is affected. It's how your witness is affected. Trump, Clinton, Obama, Bush, not the issue. Not the most important issue. The issue is this. For those who know that Jesus is king, we're free to submit because we want to display that Jesus has changed our lives which leads to a heart of submission because Jesus himself knew submission. So we reflect him when we show the world that Jesus' people are different, even in reference to government. Let's pray. Father, would you help us with this? Our our hearts um, need help. I know mine does. So, Lord, thank you for convicting me by your word this week. Um, Lord, some of these situations that we face are messy 
and, and we don't know what to do. So we ask for your wisdom. Um, help us to discern between sin and when is it right to submit and when is it not right to submit. And sometimes, Lord, that's hard. And, and this world is, is crazy sometimes. So, Lord, we want to honor you in all things and, and just ask for grace to know what is appropriate and when. So may you um, just loom large by the power of your spirit. May you truly be our guiding perspective and our true trust and treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.